Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 102. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today we have semi-permanent co-host Jay Pestricelli, CEO and founder of Zega Financial. Jay, what's going on today? Nothing, nothing really much, right? Hey, Derek. Oh, yeah, it's just, just a very boring week in the markets, apparently. Not. Yeah. That's my, that's my 90s joke right there. I did the not. Yeah, joke. exactly. <laughs> We were, we were going to have you on, you and I planned to do episode, big episode 100, and uh, I was thinking to save episode 100 and just do like 101 or 102, and then we'd do 100, but it would confuse people. So consider this like, but it's great timing because, I mean, there's nothing going on in the market. But was that, was that your apology for not inviting me to do number 100? I, and if it was, I accept it because you had no obligation to me. <laughs> no, no, you you had we had trading stuff that came up and obviously did, trading did, always yeah. trading always. But yeah, there's nothing going. All right, let's let's get so we want to do an episode today. There's a lot of stuff in the media about GameStop and this is fascinating. I I've been through stuff like this before. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about GameStop, explain the short selling and the short raid, short squeeze. What happens in the options market? Um, are short sellers good or bad? This whole thing about you know firms restricting trading, we'll, we'll touch on that maybe a little bit. Um, you know, and then have I seen this before? The quick answer is yeah. I'll, I'll bury the bury the lead or expose the lead, whatever it is. Yeah, let, let's hit on that. Right, I, I I actually think this is maybe start in the reverse order, Derek. I know we never have a plan here, but maybe like in the things you just listed because. I think it's important for people to know what we're seeing is certainly get a lot, is getting a lot of attention, but this is not new to Wall Street. No, not at all. I mean, should we describe the situation a little bit? Maybe, maybe I maybe I shouldn't have jumped the gun. Why don't you take over the show here? Who's the host of this thing? Maybe one day we'll flip it. Maybe maybe it's today, <laughs> right? Jay, explain first of all, really quick, short selling, and then what short selling is, how the process works. Um, let's start from there. So go go with that. Yeah. So short selling is where you are selling a stock without actually owning it. Wall Street is one of those rare instances where you could sell something without owning it, but you do have an obligation to buy it back. You know, typically when we invest, when we go long, you buy first, sell later. doesn't necessarily have to happen in that order. So you could sell a stock without owning it. And that's a sell to open type trade. And it's known as short selling. Um, you actually... Some people ask, well, where do the shares come from? Do you just pick them out of thin air? And the answer is, no, you borrow them. The, your broker will let you borrow them from clients that are holding them, and they let you they lend them out to you. And it really is a, a loan. You have to use margin to sell uh, to sell short um, because you're you know selling something you don't own yet, and you have an obligation to eventually buy it back. And when you're selling short, it's the exact opposite of being long and owning stock. You want the individual stock that you've shorted to go down to make money. When it goes up, you lose money. Just like the reverse is true when you're long stock, when you own stock and it goes up, you make money and it goes down, you lose money. You're just the flip side of it. The big issue with selling stock, selling stock short, is the risk you take ends up being a little different than when you buy stock, right, Derek? When you when you buy stock, the most you can lose is what you paid for the stock. I mean, you may borrow it on margin, but that just means you bought more than you had. But uh, really, you, all you could lose when you buy a stock is that it goes to zero, right? I, I guess I'll throw out the exception unless you're buying long oil futures in 
April of 2020 that went negative for a day. But it, let's leave that one off the table for a minute. Stocks can only go to zero. Yeah, stocks can only go to zero. Or, or margin, Jay. It, right. Or, or your account could go negative if, if you're on margin, right? Yeah, your account can go negative, but the stock can only, as you buy a stock for 20 bucks, it could go to zero, no lower than that. Well, when you short a stock, remember I just mentioned, you lose money as the stock goes up, you make money as the stock goes down. You short a stock at 20 and it goes down to 10 bucks, you made 10 bucks. If you short a stock at 20, it goes up to 30, you've now lost 30. And, you know, Derek, while we say there, uh, any stock can go up to infinity, be nice if the stocks I owned would go to infinity. They never do. But um, it's, and stocks don't go to infinity, but it certainly, it certainly feels like a stock goes to infinity if you're short at 20 and it runs to, oh, I don't know, $480 like GameStop did this week. So, uh, you know, that's, but the general gist of shorting is you want the stock to go down, you have to borrow shares from somebody else, and eventually you have to buy it back because whenever there's a sell, there's a buy and vice versa. Anything else you want to expand on with that? No, I think it's good. And then, you know, with GameStop, uh, let me set this up. GameStop is, the, is a company that was heavily shorted. And what does that mean? Well, let's say a stock has 60 or 50 million shares. I think I'm right in the ballpark on, on GameStop. 50 million shares outstanding. Okay. So there's 50 million shares outstanding. And when people short or bet against it, uh, there are short positions. And so... There's a couple of ways you measure that. You do the short interest as a percentage of float. So what does that mean? It means that if there's 50 million shares outstanding and 25 million are held short currently, uh, you have 50% of the short uh, of the the whole you know float that's shorted. And then the other way that they measure that is called short interest ratio. Some people call that days to cover, and this gets a little complicated. But let's say in my example, the 25 you know, million shares are held short right now. I want to be clear, it might be a million or billion. I have to look it up. But anyway, my example, 25 million are held short. If the average daily volume on, on the stock is 5 million, then in theory, it would take five days, you know, back of the napkin to cover that short. So the short interest ratio is basically the amount of shares that are short, to, you know, uh, division divided into the, uh, uh, the volume. And so what you saw on GameStop is you had a stock that was, and we'll get into this in a second, maybe the short interest was, uh, you know, 140%, I think is what CNBC was saying of the float. And so what happens is when there's a short squeeze, the stock goes up and not only, you know, do you have buyers pushing the stock up, but you have also people because Jay, what you mentioned, unlimited loss to the upside you have short sellers covering, buying to cover their shares, which sort of doubles the activity and it squeezes price higher. And, you know, the final thing I'll set this up, what the Reddit traders did, um, the Wall Street bet Reddit traders, is they, they sort of started posting and said, hey, these, these stocks have huge short interest. Why don't we just get everybody to buy at once and, and buy options, which we'll get into in a second, force the price higher, force them to cover, and it'll be the short squeeze and we'll all make money. So, you know, that's, that's sort of the setup. Um, Jay, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, um, I, I think that was a really good explanation. Let me get into the squeeze. Just Maybe just another piece of info here is, you know, when you are short, 
And, you know, we always talk about risk mitigation, Derek, right? There's, there's kind of three ways to mitigate your risk uh, in this world. There's how much you allocate to a strategy, right? That's the first way to kind of manage your risk. The second thing is trading through your risk, like having exit prices where you think, okay, that went against me and I'm exiting. And the third way we mitigate risk is hedging. And, um, you know, all three of those um, ways of risk mitigation should be at play at all times. And when one of those breaks down, you start to see some dramatic movement. So in, 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 in the case of, let's say somebody planned on, uh, let's go back to my $20 example, and somebody was short at $20, right? And they, maybe they had, you know, exits at 30, meaning, hey, if I lose 50% on this short, I'm out, right? And that is if it went from $20 to $30, that's a $10 loss, 50% loss on your starting balance. Um, you may just have to say, okay, I need to get out. Well, the way you get out is by buying the stock. So you have to go out into the market and you have to purchase it at the $30 price. And normally there's a pretty you know liquid market for most, most stocks and you just go buy it and you say, okay, I took my lumps. Well, when the squeeze is on, all of those buyers, as you just mentioned, Derek, are kind of coming in at the same time. So you have the buyers that go, ooh, the stock's up. It's hot. It's got momentum. I'm going to go along the stock. You've got those guys who are creating activity, but then you've got the short sellers that have to cover. And they are, for lack of a better word, panicked, panicked to exit. And they'll say, fine, buy it wherever. And they will also push the stock higher. But they're not all panicked. But the point is they are forced to act today. Right. Hey, I've I've hit my limit. I've taken my lumps. I got to get out. Now, that's the kind of the first stage of it. By the way, if you had borrowed too much on margin to create that short position, your broker is going to do it to you. Right. The broker is going to go, hey, look, like your account is, you know, got less than 25 percent equity. You've lost money on this position. We told you two days ago you're in a margin call. You know what? We're ta- we're covering for you. And your broker doesn't care what the price is on the exit. The broker just needs to protect the balance of their, their book and they'll buy it back too. So you've got this kind of forced buying happening um, where it, it just causes this uh, a pretty dramatic momentum in the stock. So I just, I wanted to kind of create uh, just a, a little awareness to the urgency associated with a short squeeze. And you were right to bring up the days to cover because that's really interesting. But when the volume goes up by 10 or 20 times in a single day, it's clearly an indication that there are people coming into the market that have to buy it back because they were short. And the greater percentage of people that are short, the easier it is to create the short squeeze. I shouldn't say people. The greater number of shares outstanding uh, uh, as a percentage of the short of the interest that will create higher urgency, faster urgency. And so in the case of GameStop, that had an extremely high percentage of its float short. Um, once those limits start getting hit, that people had to cover by back and brokers are covering back for their clients forcibly, um, you create this dramatic uh, movement, which is exactly what we saw in GameStop. So sorry to dig into that a little bit, but just wanted to ex- really show the urgency of a squeeze. Yeah, and I think on top of that, which you you did a really good job explaining, is you know when people short stock, not only do they you know theoretically if there's a dividend paid, you owe the dividend. But anyway, that's that not a, that big of a deal. But you have to pay um, interest to borrow the shares. So in cases where you have hard to borrow, there's not a lot of shares available to short. 
you could see uh, your annualized interest carrying cost go really up. To give you a good example, you know, let's say you wanted to, to short a, a plain vanilla stock, you know, um, you wanted to short Apple. And, and, I, and I haven't looked this up, but I'm going to make a guess. On an annualized cost, maybe you might have to pay half a percent, okay? Uh, on GameStop, I think CNBC was reporting, and I haven't verified this, but the annualized cost was anywhere from 30 to 40 or, or higher percent, which means imagine you shorted GameStop today and you held it for the next year. And let's assume for a second your annualized cost to borrow is 30%. That means until you make 30%, you don't make $1. So not only do you have you know, the liquidity uh, you know, issues that you stated, you're also day by day as interest is working against you, it's going up. So it's another sort of impetus to, to need to sell, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. There, there's when you're short, you're always, you know, you know, you've got a cover. You don't have a long mentality. Normally you don't have a long mentality because at some point you're, you know, you can only make, you know, in a short sell a hundred percent, right? If you, if you sold at 20 and it goes to zero, you make a hundred percent where with stocks, you know, if you bought a 20 and it went up to, you know, 60, you made 200%, right? $40 on 20. So like you, you're always kind of looking to pull the trigger going, okay, that's just about enough on my profit. So your time, yes, you're right. So you have this cost to borrow, you've got the timing, you've got your limitation on how much you could make. Now, there are some benefits to shorting because somebody might say, well, why would you ever do this? Is it just a directional bet? There are ways uh, 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 that you, a good, a, a real short selling uh, regiment would include reshorting as a stock is going down. One of the neat things about shorting, and sorry, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, is when you make money, it immediately releases the buying power. So for example, if you had $100 and you shorted five shares of GameStop and it went from you know 20 down to 10, you're going to get a whole bunch of extra buying power because um, it's taking less money to cover back, right? Because now it only takes $10 to buy GameStop back. Your broker goes, oh, you have... Um, Ten more dollars. Do, do you want to short more? And you have that available to you in your buying power. That's not the case when you're long stock. When you're long stock, if you spent you know hundred dollars on stock and it goes up, your buying power doesn't go up. Your value goes up just the same, but your buying power doesn't go up. So there's all sorts of mechanics associated with short selling that you know short sellers can make money in bull markets, right? That's why there are people that specialize in short selling. Um, it doesn't have to mean the whole market's going down. But you still need the market to go down in what you're shorting, or at least the symbols to go down that you're shorting to make money. So little little tangent there. Uh, the other thing I'll say, Derek, when you talk about kind of the mechanics of finding the shares to borrow, you just can't short every day how many shares you want. They have to be available. So your brokers are going to tell you what's available each day. Uh, you you actually, every one of them are going to report, you know, here's the number of shares we have to short in these symbols. And it could run out because they just can't find any more. Right. So you have that challenge as well, uh, too, that, you know, as a short seller, you can't always implement your strategy. And so sometimes if you really were short GameStop and you're like, this thing's going to go down because I don't think the business model is you know, valid. Let's just say that's your reasoning. Then, uh, you know, you want to sometimes you got to jump on the opportunity because it's not even they're not even always available for you to short. So all of those things go into shorting. It's 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 almost like how does this you know, microcosm of the uh, of the industry exists when most people just understand going long. Not a lot of people short because a there's a little extra complication associated with it. There's availability problems with it, um, and then there's also more risk. And I think, and this may be an old data point, but I think only five percent of kind of the daily volume is short volume. 
this new added short volume, right? So most people don't do this. But when you see kind of what's going on today in the markets and all of the, uh, uh, you know, visibility or, you know, the news cycle that's focusing so much on it, everyone's like, oh, maybe the shorting thing's a real thing. It is. It's been going on for years, 150 years, 200 years, as long as the market's been around, not 200 yet, but maybe on other markets, I guess that's probably fine. Uh, I would say, you know, it's, 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 it's great we're bringing awareness to it, Derek, um, but it's not new. It's not new at all. The other side of this is the option side. And, and so I went into the Wall Street Bets uh, Reddit forums. And uh, for anyone who wants to kill like, you know, 150 hours of your 20-hour day, whatever it is, right? Um, you know, just to see, I'll get into some of the comments in a second. But the other tactic, they, and they've been, they've been pushing this for a while, is the whole delta squeeze. You know, hey, let's buy options, um, buy a lot of really cheap options. Uh, market makers have to hedge the other side of it. And this will cause extra buying and further exacerbate the, you know, the squirt squeeze. So, you know, if if, uh, if somebody buys an option and it has a 10 delta, let's just use that. It means that for every one contract, you control 100 shares, but don't own them. The market maker, in theory, either has other sides of the trade to match up against, or if not, they'd have to buy 10 shares of that to, to sort of minimize their their exposure, right? Because somebody buys a call, the market maker sold a call, and they don't want to take directional risk, so they they buy ten shares. Um, talk about that a little bit, Jay, and, and maybe where that plays in this situation. Yeah. Okay. So this this is uh, uh, usually a, a topic when we get into kind of the the rate of change of options versus the rate of change of the underlying stock. That's what's known as delta, right? You just gave a good example, right? So what that means is. Um, you know, if stock goes up a dollar, the option is going to go up 10 cents, right? That's a 10 delta, right? We, it's a really a 0. 0.10. Think about it. It's just the percentage change. Um, so what happens is when you want to be neutral, as the market makers do, uh, they don't want to take directional bets. They just want to fill orders, right? I want to fill a buy on this side, a sell on this side, and I make the difference on the, uh, the bid ask spread, right? That's how their, their, uh, uh, their, their business model works. They certainly don't want to take market risk. Um, but if they're trying to be neutral and their options start to go more and more in the money, that delta changes. One of the things that we've talked about on multiple uh, um, podcasts, Eric, is you know how we use options within our portfolios at Zega to you know capture the movement of the market but limit risk. And delta is a component of that. And as options go more, as calls go more and more in the money, for example, their delta increases. And so what could have been a ten delta position today might be a 30 a 30 delta position tomorrow. And so if I'm the guy that's supposed to be neutral and I just bought, you know, 10 shares as the offset, now I've got to get 10 more 20 more shares to neutralize my delta. And when a stock goes, you know, when a delta goes from say 10 to, you know, 95, like let's say uh, you know, options on, you know, GameStop, let's say a a a, 50, a $20 delta on that right now, a $20 strike has probably got a 90 delta all things being equal, which they're, they're not. But the point is you have to essentially buy all the shares to cover that option, right? Or you'll find yourself in a position where you have to cover the difference. And so the options market itself will create a dynamic that drives stock volume because uh, of the aim of neutrality of the market maker who's just implementing and executing trades. Yeah, I think the other side of this too is that uh... – um, there's a lot of talk on on the Reddit message boards that there's a ton of in the money call options, 
or in the money spreads. Meaning, and we're doing this, we're recording this on Friday, January 29th, that expires today, like this afternoon, right? When you're listening to this, it'll either be Sunday or Monday or some, you know, it could be five years from now. But the other thing, and I think a lot of, there's a lot of confusion about this, is that all of a sudden, those long options that are really far in the money. And so you might have, you know, a $100 option, the stocks are 300, it's 200 points in the money, that those are going to, be assigned or automatically exercised, and there'll be further buying of options. Uh, Jay, that's not necessarily the case, though. Yeah. Um, well, actually, you know, since, since you mentioned it, I just took a look at the option chain on January. You know, today's the 29th, which expired today. Looks like there's about 70,000 calls of open interest before the day started. Um, so, you know, when you think about the market, so 70,000 call options are in the money, right? And with, uh, GameStop trading at this second at 3.30, right? And I'm doing a little math here. Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, uh, I think I did my math. It's like $2 billion of notional value, right? So that can't be right. It's, it's sorry, $23 million of notional value, right? So you do um, 70,000 contracts times the, no, I was right the first time, 330 times 100. You know, you're talking about $2 billion of, in the money notional value that's expiring today. Right now, I'm pretty sure most of those people don't feel like buying $2 billion worth of stock uh, because they made all their money on the option anyway, might as well just close it out, right? It's the same profit. Uh, and so, you know, that you get this trading activity that's associated with it, but it'll be interesting to see um, the assignments that are going to occur and what you have to do. Now, uh, let's say you didn't have the cash, Derek, and you got assigned. Let's say, oops, you forgot you bought GameStop calls at a at a hundred dollars a hundred dollar strike you know two days ago and you 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 oh shoot i forgot i'm busy on friday afternoon i forgot to trade those on monday morning you're going to show up and uh your brokerage account's going to have shares that you're long at a hundred dollars but they're going to be worth 330 dollars each share right so you're going to have a large contract but now you're in a margin call right because you probably didn't have that much money sitting around to buy that stock i mean you might have but it's one of those things that uh um you know, can cause additional dynamics within the market on the day of expiration and then the follow, the couple of days after expiration. Yeah, in theory too, by the way, that opens up gap risk. And I'll, before I get to another point I want to get to, because we want to close on this and get to some other stuff, but um, if, if you're assigned and the stock is at a price today, it could open Monday, you know, $200 down, $200 up. So that's additional over the weekend risk. So mo- most people, to your point, would not want to be assigned the stock and then hold it, nor when they have the the capital. The other side of this, depending upon the risk management at different brokerage firms, and and I'm just saying this, I don't know this for sure, but potentially they, from a risk standpoint, um, could could be, you know, liquidating those early and, you know, we might hear more about that. But um, so the the other side of this I I want to get into is, and by the way, before I, I, I want to talk about, you know, short selling, good or bad. I want to get into the whole you know, stuff we've been seeing about brokerages halting trading. And then, you know, have we seen this before? The first thing that I would say is multiple things can be true at once. And and here's the point I want to make. I think when you're looking at CNBC, there's a lot of people who are looking at the folks saying, hey, this is going to end badly and saying, you're crazy. You just, you're not in it for the little guy. And then other people are like, stick it to these hedge funds. You know, we're going to cause hedge funds to go out of business. This is great. You shouldn't halt trading just when the little guy is winning. And I'm just, I'm just going to make a statement, and then you, you can talk about this too. What I worry about on this 
and I think it's perfectly, you know, it's a little bit genius that enough people figure this out. And by the way, I think institutions piled on based upon the volume to help drive this up. But what I worry about is the guy or girl, um, you know, the, the investor today who really hasn't done any trading and says, you know what, this looks really interesting. I'm going to clear out my 401k and I'm going to buy GameStop at $400, $500, $300, whatever it's trading at, because all these people made money. And what, hap- what eventually will happen is probably this collapses and they lose everything. Like That's who I worry about. And I just, multiple things can be true at once. We can root for a lot of things here, Jay. Yeah. And listen, what you said is, is true. And, you know, I, uh, but I think it's necessary. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I might've used this phrase before on the podcast. I'm going to use it again, but uh, this is it. This is my, uh, uh, my sensei, Mr. Miyagi quote of the podcast. Um, Experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. And what I mean by that is, yes, um, there's a lot of individuals that are not sophisticated that are going to try to get involved in the market and they're going to lose money, but they're going to gain something else. They're going to learn about this dynamic that's going on. Um, you know, it feels, Derek, in a lot of ways of when you and I started in the trading business in, you know, 95, 98, and the market was pretty hot from this internet bubble, this internet dot com boom thing, right? And we all know that it ended in a bubble, but it lasted for years. But it brought in a whole generation of investors that didn't exist before. I remember uh, uh, sitting uh, at my desk at the brokerage firm I worked for in New Jersey at the time and thinking to myself, wow, I love, I love buying WorldCom down here. This is great. This stock only goes up. I don't know what they're talking about. Fundamentals, schmundamentals. This thing's going to a thousand, right? And, um, you know, you learn a hard lesson when WorldCom goes bankrupt, you know, like three months later, you go, Wow. I didn't, I didn't even know that was possible. You're going to learn lessons from this. And I don't mind that people are going to learn lessons. Now, I don't want people, you know, betting the house on this. I think that's really damaging. But, you know, we, we live in a world where the information that is out there is certainly uh, uh, going to bring attention to this. And it's good to learn about this. I don't, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. We want people to get involved in the financial markets, right? In the long run, to me, there's no better way to produce personal wealth and in the stock market. And so if this is the thing that brings in the next generation of investors, I'm, I'm okay with it in a measured way. Of course, nobody wants, you know, to have somebody, you know, mortgage their house and lose on their money because they thought GameStop was a good buy at 500. Nobody wants that. But, uh, you know, we ha- we take that risk every day with individuals. You know, I've been listening to apparently a lot of our uh, elected officials believe that this nonsense needs to be stopped. And I think to myself, what, what's, what's the nonsense? Taking risk and investing, um, you know, we've kind of created this environment. It's part of what we do, right? It's, it's, there's always risk when it comes to investing. I'm going to throw out another quote here. One of our clients, a very smart client, someone that we've known for a long, long time, sent me a note. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, when you have AOC and Ted Cruz calling for the heads of these brokers, it just tells us that at least ignorance Shows no shows bipartisanship. So, you know, I I I, I modified that a little bit, but the, the point is that you know, listen, you've you've got some people calling as an outrage, and then you've got other people going, this this makes a lot of sense. We should do it. I think, like all things, investing should be you know, you measure risk first. Right? That's the only thing you can control. Yeah, and and uh, if we ever did one of these live, 
we should do it during the congressional hearings when you hear a bunch of Congress people or senators asking complicated financial questions. I mean, I, we've seen all these <laughs> hearings before. I would just be, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I can't, there, the, I mean, I see stuff already. I mean, um, and by the way, I've, yeah, anyway. Right. I, this, this is not meant to be political approach, right? But it's just saying the lack of information of people that don't do this all day is, could be harmful to the actual structure of the markets. Yeah. Yeah. Like I saw one person say, you know, big hedge funds are, you know, blocking and it's an insurrection by hedge fund or, or Wall Street bets. Anyway. So another question that comes up, have I seen this before? And the, and the answer is, oh yeah, never with Twitter, never with Reddit. Um, but Jay, I mean, back in, in the mid nineties, like I saw that, so on, I'll give you a couple quick examples. Um, cause I do want to get to the, the, whether short selling's good or bad. Right. Um, but VW had a short squeeze in 2008, went all the way up, came all the way back down. Um, there's a lot of information on that. But I remember like retail traders, like there was a guy, Dan Dorfman, who used to go on CNBC. And for the life of me, like I can't find anything on this. It's like this little, um, not a dark period, but just a blank period from like 95 to, to 99 on the, on the internet. But he would come on every day and give a stock. He would uh, tout a stock. And... Retail traders would rush in and buy it, and the thing would go up and eventually it would come back down. Um, but I also saw, like in the dot-com era, there was a, a pinkmonkey.com. Okay, I'm just going to, I can't find anything on this, but I know what happened. And it was on CNBC. There was a stock that was trading in pennies. And all of a sudden, it was pinkmonkey.com, and it was a penny stock. I don't remember if it was a reverse merge or whatever. I went to pinkmonkey.com. By the way, we didn't get a lot of traffic from this, but I went to their website today. It looks the same as it did in like 1995. You know what they are? From my, my understanding back then, they were like a college bookstore that sold Cliff Notes. All right. Um, their stock went from pennies to, I forget what, it might have been five bucks, it might have been 10 bucks. And there was another one, Jay, that was like supposed to do a deal at MasterCard. Pink sheets, literally pennies, went to like 10 bucks. I saw people turn like two and $3,000 into millions. I saw some people cash out and pocket the money. Awesome. I saw other people not do anything. And when it went back down, they were beside themselves. But Jay, th this is not new, right? This is, we've seen different manias like this. I've never seen it played out in, in, in social media like this, though, of course. Yeah, I mean, the bulletin boards back in, you know, you know, 1998, 2000, like those, those were interesting forums and they were kind of a cousin of this. And, you know, if you actually found the right one, that the guy was pretty good at organizing kind of a coordinated buy or sell activity. And I say the guy who knows what it was, um, that it could have been an entity. It could have been a lady. I don't know, but the, you could get this kind of a little momentum, right. And you'd have to follow all the different, you know, streams, right. This day it's uh, today it's, you know, we've got some real interesting, uh, um, coordination, Coordination, by the way, typically is not something that the regulators like, coordinated stock manipulation that's frowned upon generally. Um, and so, by the way, that brings up a different question. Is this legal? What's happening, right? Can you go out and, uh, uh, and, and, and talk up a stock like this? And, you know, TBD, if the regulators ever go after anybody on this, but I'm not sure how it's that much different from somebody going on Bloomberg or CNBC and saying, hey, we like these three stocks because of X, Y, Z. 
Um, but, you know, is there malicious intent? You know, I've heard all sorts of things about this. We'll see how it plays out. Certainly, apparently, there, uh, there's going to be an investigation on something. I'm not sure what they're going to investigate. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll learn more as time goes on. Um, you know, Derek, I, I do, I don't, I personally don't have an issue with the fact that the markets are trading and operating, and this is the result of that. I do worry that people take the wrong amount of risk. It's not the first time we've seen kind of a social media buzz. I mean, Bitcoin of 2018, right? You know, what did it go from 2000 to 10,000 to 20,000 before it sold off back down? I think it had 3000 in March of 2020. And now it's back up to, you know, 35,000. You know, these moves cause quite a bit of interest. I remember in 2018 when Coinbase, you know, opened up 10 million accounts in a single year. It was wild. And why? Because people are looking for an opportunity to generate wealth within the within the markets. And you know, I'd rather them do it in the equity markets than the crypto markets, quite frankly. Um, there's a lot more regulation on this, right? And yeah, you're going to get some movement here and you're going to get a lot of visibility to this. But generally speaking, I think it's better for the markets. The more people that get involved, the better. I think a whole generation of uh, millennials missed the markets. I think they lost trust in the markets after the Great Recession. They saw what it did to their parents. I'm looking at the Gen Zers right now, and I'm going to tell you, they are absolutely engaged. I am taught. I, I kid you not. I talked to three different 16 year olds yesterday. They were, you know, the children of our clients, but they wanted to know about all this stuff. And they said, "Okay, let's call Jay and let's talk to him about it." I think it's wonderful. I really do. So, you know, Derek, I don't know about you. I got interested in the stock market when I was about 15, 16. I think that's when Wall Street came out. I thought this movie was amazing. I don't think it's a bad thing that people are getting interested. And I, you know, I hope the lessons that they learn aren't too costly. Jay, I was not only into it at, at an early age, I was subscribing to some newsletters. And I also figured <laughs> out that if I could make friends with somebody who lived closer to where they mailed it, so they got it sooner than I did and knew what the stocks were, I had a better chance of getting in and then making money because if you got in late, then everybody starts to sell. Um, I'll just, I'll refer to you to, um, uh, Michael Lewis wrote a piece about regulation, about what happens when the SEC, um, it was about a 16, this is probably back in 2000, New York Times piece, Google, I think it's Michael Labard, L-E-B-E-R-D. God, I, I, I'm sorry, Michael, if I'm getting that wrong, um, where the SEC went after a 16 year old who was going into, uh, you know, chat rooms. Excuse me. Uh, what about short sellers in general? Good or bad, Jay? Good. Is that it? Can I just say good? <laughs> you want to expand on that? You want me to expand on that? All right. So here's the thing about a short seller, right? Generally speaking, in general, of course, anything could happen. But generally speaking, short sellers are essentially saying, hey, a company's overvalued, right? People, long buyers will buy a company when it's undervalued for an opportunity for growth. There's, in my opinion, nothing wrong with a short seller selling a stock that is overvalued and run too far. Happens all the time. I think it's fine for the markets. I think there's a lot of. I want to make By this way, point. You too. Feel free to disagree. Might make might be more interesting. You want to battle me on it? Yeah. Let me let me take the a measured contrapoint because I think there's a lot of misnomers, and I especially saw this with some of the, you know, the senators and, and Congress people, right? congressmen, congresswomen. And they were saying short selling should be outlawed because it, how dare they try and raid a company, you know, cause it to go out of business. Let me, let me explain something. Short selling on itself does not cause a, a company to go out of business. I could win the galactic lottery tonight if there was such a thing. 
and you know, get $1.5 trillion cash prize. Tomorrow, I could short, well, not tomorrow, Monday, I could short every single share of Apple. And maybe nobody bought that day and it goes to zero. You know what doesn't change? Their revenue, their earnings, all that stuff. Here's where it can hurt a company. So if short sellers are able to, to help drive the, the price down, if a company wants to raise additional capital, uh, they can do what's called a secondary offering. In fact, a lot of people are saying, hey, GameStop, do a secondary offering like yesterday at these prices um, because the valuation don't support it. Um, yeah, I've, I've been saying that. So, so let's say that, that a company wants to go to the capital markets. Um, they cannot get the same price for those shares. So that takes away one of the levers. Um, if, if you have some capital requirements, convertibles or bonds in the bond market, you know, maybe the stock price increase, you know, affects their rating. And then if you have a lot of comp tied to, let's say, you know, stock options, a lot of people get those from a job and the stock goes way far down, you might have a talent drain. But in my opinion, no, short sellers do not cause uh, companies to go out of business. And in fact, short sellers have been incented to root out fraud. Um, I think I remember, it's been a while, but I think Jim Chanos, who's been a short seller, had done some stuff on Enron, uh, Wirecard in, in, uh, in Europe, uh, Nikola, and I, I don't know what's going on with that, but there was a short seller who put out the report that they were allegedly, um, I don't want to get sued, right? But allegedly, you know, dragging their electric truck or wasn't really driving on its own. I mean, there's, um, and in fact, if I'll put a link to it, Amazon has a documentary on uh, uh, the China hustle and how short sellers, I think it was Muddy Waters Hedge Fund, uh, did research and uncovered fraud. So there, there's like a really good function in the market, but selling short, by the way, if short sellers are wrong, they can go out of business. So, uh, yeah. so I think it's, it's a really big function. In fact, Jay, if we can find it, we'll link to it. You were telling me there's some book you, you have somewhere, what, from the 1918s? That <laughs> it, was 19, it was a book published in 19, I think it was called The Psychology of the, of the Markets. And it discusses a lot about short selling, right? The pluses and the minuses of it, right? So that's a 102-year-old book. And I feel like it could have been written last week, right? Because the aspects of fear and greed still exist today. And the dynamics, while the, uh, the, the mechanics might have changed, but the dynamics of long and short traders in the market has been, has, was there and it's, it's, it's here now. I think the other aspect of this too, that um, there's a lot of, well, all right, so it's a really complicated topic and we're, we're not going to cover it here. But I just think it's worth touching on. You know, Robinhood uh, said yesterday that clients couldn't buy new positions on some stocks. Liquidations only. I mean, you you could get out of anything that you had. Uh, I think we saw, uh, you know, TD Ameritrade talk about raising margin requirements, which is, which happens all the time. You know, if you have markets that are. But Jay, I mean, there, there's settlement involved. There's a lot of complex stuff. Like brokers have to. Have a have cash almost in an escrow account. Um, we'd be doing it a disservice to try and get into it now. But I, wouldn't you agree that it, it's? I, I don't necessarily think what everyone is saying is necessarily true. And, and again, multiple things can be true on this front, right? Yeah, there, there's plenty of ignorance out there, and 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 flashes of truth. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you said it, it's complicated. And I think, uh, you know, if you want that podcast that helps people cure insomnia, we could talk about the mechanics of the clearing industry. Sorry to all my clearing friends that I just said that, but, um, (laughs) I, you know, listen, yeah, there's a lot of pieces that move around here and the game can change at the drop of a hat, like a stock being halted or a stock being removed from trading, right? And if your plan was like, Ooh, let me sell here and buy at the dip and you can't buy again, that's kind of rough, right? So it's again, when, when you, when you, when you get into this kind of, uh, activity and you wade into these waters, just realize that, you know, don't, don't assume anything. Uh, at the end of the day is the way it started. And, you know, I, again, manage your risk, manage your positioning, right? I can't say risk, risk, risk management more enough. And uh, I have to play with it a little bit, right? It's okay. But, and take some profits, right? It's okay, right? It's, uh, there's so many little uh, uh, ignorance of wisdom, Derek, that you could share with everybody that, that uh, you and I talk about all the time. But, you know, this is nothing to be afraid of, just something to be aware of. And if it's the first time you're learning of it, it's probably going to pique your interest in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the markets. Jay, don't you think Michael Lewis is started writing his next book like last Monday on this? The author of the book. <laughs> he, already, he already beat up the Wall Street guys, didn't he? Didn't he already go after them? No, but he's, he's perfect because he worked on Wall Street and he's done stuff. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, there's a book yeah. coming on this, right? I mean, uh, I was going to say we should write it, but somebody else will. Well, uh, my, I, Michael Lewis, if you're listening and I sure as heck don't think he is, but, uh, you know, if you are get started on that, uh, look, I mean, this, this has been good. I think it's, you know, we've been getting a lot of questions and we said, look, why don't we just get on one of these and we'll, we'll talk through some of the, hopefully it's helpful for people. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of information that comes out. I'll link to some podcasts in the show notes. Uh, you know, they might be might be helpful for some people. And, and I might, you know, Derek. One one question that we haven't hit on. I know we got like two minutes here. We got to finish up. But um, you know, can can this impact you know the overall markets? Can this really impact somebody's IRA? Right when a short squeeze happens and then gets unwound, um, what can it can it hurt the individual investor who's just investing in you know large cap ETFs? I don't in the short run. Okay, in the long run, no. Quick answer. In the short run, yes, because if you if you're a hedge fund, like long term capital and asset management, right? When you're levered and you have shorts on, and you know you have to sell, you have to liquidate to cover requirements. So yeah, wouldn't you agree? I would. I think I do think in the short term it can cause volatility, and when you're covering your margin call and you're short, it means you got to sell something that's profitable. It's probably on the long side of your portfolio. So, yep. That's what I would say. I think short term, but long term, this is a very, it's a microcosm of the market. Jay, I've never seen, like CNBC's ratings must be through the roof on this. Like I've never, like we had COVID vaccine come out, Apple earnings, and it was nonstop on, uh, on, on the GameStop situation. Good for them, right? Yeah. I, I wish they would have talked more about the J&J vaccine today, which also seems would normally be the big news, but we're going to talk about GameStop instead, I guess. All right, Jay. We'll leave it there. Thanks again for coming on. I know you'll be on again, and, and uh, I think this is helpful for everyone. For everyone else, I'll check out the links, and uh, we'll talk to everyone soon. Thanks, Jay. 